0: Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello, and welcome to 80s Movie Montage. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And we are kicking off our Christmas spectacular with...
1: (laughs) Die hard. The
0: (laughs) traditional, classic Christmas movie. (laughs) With uh, that scene, I I love that scene because we get a little bit of Rickman and Mm -hmm. Willis... But I also like it because it's one of it kind of reminds me of one of the worst edits in movie history, where he famously says Kaye, Mister Falcon." What? Yeah, that's an that's to to get it on TV to get the Are you serious? To get the swearzies out that he says Kaye, Mister Falcon."
1: I didn't know that, and that's yeah. terrible.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we that's so
1: bad. We
0: wanted to kick it off with the real thing.
1: But the real thing, and honestly, arguably the most iconic line from this movie, which has, I think, gone on to become one of the most iconic lines of
0: any movie. Yeah. 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 It was that, or welcome to the party, pal, or have a few drinks, have a few laughs, come to the... Yeah. (laughs) There's so many. There's so many great little one-liners in this.
1: Yeah, I agree. And as always, we had a spectacular conversation with our special guest today, or... Technically, it was. No, no, it's today. today.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's coming up shortly.
1: Coming up shortly. Yeah. With uh, Whew, Caroline, That was a close one. Caroline Doby. And uh, we we went over quite a bit with her, more than I think you would expect from a little action flick. So let's. A little action flick. Little action flick. So let's dive in. Let's do it. Okay. So Die Hard came out towards the end of the decade,
0: 1988.
1: Mm. Yep. And. So this is another, I think this might be the third, because we had The Princess Bride, we had The Shining. I think this might only be the third movie that we're covering that's based off a book.
0: This is right. This is based off a book in the way that you at one point had a book, and then somebody was literally <laughs> rewriting pages of the book while filming.
1: Yeah, and I never read the book. So yeah. the, the source material, it was written by a gentleman named Roderick Thorpe. Mm. Quite a classy name. Yeah. And the book is called "Nothing Lasts Forever. Between us and our special guest, none of us have read the book. So it's no. really hard to break down how closely the movie aligns to it, but it is it, we, we should, you know, definitely acknowledge the fact that it comes from this guy's novel.
0: What's it called again?
1: Nothing Lasts Forever.
0: This franchise does, however, last forever.
1: I mean, we kind of talk about that with Caroline. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So then the two gentlemen who went on to create the screenplay from the book. So the first dude, his name is Jeb Stewart. Did you
0: say John Stewart?
1: No, I did not. I oh. said Jeb Stewart.
0: Oh, okay. That
1: would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so a couple other credits to his name. Uh, he wrote Leviathan
0: hmm okay that uh like uh, spooky underwater movie i think yeah yeah yeah
1: vital signs okay another 48 hours all right is the guy behind that one of our favorites well i guess i shouldn't speak for you but the fugitive
0: i enjoy that movie i don't know if it's a favorite but i really like it i really love that movie
1: and then more recently he has worked on vikings colon valhalla
0: yeah don't forget that colon
1: Yeah. Well, because I wanted like I'm trying to clarify for listeners at home, like how the title is. Otherwise, it'd be Vikings Valhalla. Vikings Valhalla. So, yes. So that is Mr. Jeb. I mean, just some of his credits. Yeah. So next we have a gentleman very distinguished. I mean, this guy, he has a lot of writing credits. Um, Name is Stephen E. D'Souza. That's quite a name. Yes, it is quite a name. So among some of his credits, and, uh, you know, he's done both television and film, but uh, he worked on The Six Million Dollar Man, so he did that show. Okay, that's He worked cool. on Knight Rider.
0: Amazing. This guy is a genius.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and what's actually really interesting between the two of them, so I just mentioned that Stewart did another 48 Hours, D'Souza did 48 Hours, so oh, he did the okay. first one. Nice. Yeah. Kind of interesting, huh? He was the creator of a show. So I'm not familiar with this show, but he was the creator of it. So I thought we should mention it. The Powers of Matthew Starr. Does that ring about? That does
0: not sound familiar, but it sounds like it should, if that yeah, makes I don't, any sense. I don't know.
1: But so he also did The Running Man. He also did Die Hard 2, Hudson Hawk. So he <laughs> likes to, because that was a Willis film. There have
0: been some ups and downs possibly sure i mean yeah
1: he also and no okay so i have to admit to something here so he wrote the flintstones i think when i was doing the research it was actually the very first time that i realized that it wasn't the flintstones it was it's the flint with a t flint stones yeah i never knew that really i was just said uh, the flintstones i feel like that might be a midwestern thing to like drop that letter, but I don't know.
0: I I, I don't know.
1: So anyway, moving on. I mean, um,
0: Flintstone makes a little bit of sense. No, it totally makes sense.
1: It, it it totally makes. But I always like had the emphasis on the stones. Hmm. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so moving on. Some of his other credits: Beverly Hills Cop Three.
0: That wasn't bad. That was a fun movie. Sure. Yeah. Street Fighter. That was um, that was a movie.
1: That was a movie,
0: yeah.
1: And Judge Dread.
0: Which one though?
1: Uh, I didn't even. There's more than one.
0: Oh, so well, okay. There's one called Judge Dread with Stallone, and then there's another one just called Dread, which by it was, it was Judge yeah. Dread. So by most accounts, the one that's just called Dread is far superior.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Well.
0: Yeah. Even though sorry. the guy from The Exorcist, uh Father Dyer. Was in Judge Dredd. Oh, Dred. for real? Yeah, he was the guy in... who
1: lives, the friend of Father Karras? Oh no,
0: no, no! the 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 priest who like is coming from the Middle East to save. Oh,
1: yeah. Ma- uh, Max von Sydnow.
0: Yes, I didn't. I didn't want to try that name, I think but I yes, said,
1: yeah, I, I'm oh, pretty sure he's got, in Judge Dredd. I got Dred. it close. I got it. close.
0: I have really derailed us from Die Hard.
1: Yes. Yeah, so moving on <laughs> to the director of the film, John McTiernan. So I think as we kind of go through these credits, you'll start to notice, like, it makes a lot of sense why they brought these particular people on board to the movie, because they kind of have a really similar sensibility between all of them. Okay. At least when you're looking at, like, their other projects, like, there's kind of a cohesion about it. So McTiernan, I don't know if you realize, because I know this is a movie you realize, he's the director of Predator.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you realize that. I did not realize that. No.
1: He also. This is another movie you like. He's also the director of The Hunt for Rod, October.
0: That that movie's a masterpiece. Yeah, you like yeah. that one a
1: lot. And uh, a very different kind of Sean Connery film, Medicine Man. Oh yeah. He did that. Um, but then he kind of comes back to like maybe what you would more expect him to do. So he's also the director behind Last Action Hero. He's the director of Die Hard with a Vengeance, the remake of The Thomas Crown Affair with Pierce Brosnan mm-hmm. and Rene Russo. And then, do you re- did you ever see the movie The 13th Warrior? Is that with... Um... Antonio Banderas.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> I remember seeing
1: that. And I, like, look, I've said it before, like, getting any movie off the ground is a pretty incredible feat. So mm-hmm. I don't throw shade but it is hilarious because in that movie he does not speak the language of the people who like it's been it's been ages since I've seen it but like if I remember correctly he does not speak the language at all of the people who like pick him up and take him on this journey but there's this like one scene where they're all sitting around a campfire and literally just I don't know through osmosis overnight he suddenly learns their entire language it's amazing. Wow.
0: Yeah. The 13th Warrior gets some super special powers.
1: <laughs> so, okay. So, moving on to cinematography. And what's actually really interesting about this gentleman, Jan de Bont, Dutchman, mm. uh, from the ne- Netherlands, my, my homeland.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, he, I mean, he was a very, ac- he is a very accomplished cinematographer, but then he Made a pivot, and in his own right became a really like interesting and and great director. So among some of his cinematography credits,
0: Cujo. Hmm. Thanks. Thanks for that one, Jan.
1: <laughs> um. All the right moves. Okay. He did a lot. So. A lot of cinematographers, it's not like they just do films. So, among his credits, he has, like, a ton of Madonna video credits.
0: Oh, all right. Which is
1: kind of interesting because he's, like, a very, it's, like, kind of action-oriented guy. So, it's just interesting that that's also, I guess, something that Madonna, well, I don't know, whatever. There's a lot
0: of action in her videos, I, one I, would uh, say.
1: I don't know. Um, the Jewel of the Nile. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, The Clan of the Cave Bear.
0: I'm not familiar with that movie.
1: I know Yves and I know I like saw it way too young as as usual, but I don't I don't think I've actually seen it since I was a child.
0: What I find interesting about Mr. De Bont. uh Mr. Debont is that in virtually all of his credits, he's credited as Jan Debont as Jan Debont.
1: Well, the difference is the capital D. Interesting. You would know that. I would if you were.
0: If I was Dutch. Dutch, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyway, so a couple more of his, because uh, he has a lot. A couple more of his uh, cinematography credits. Ruthless people. He was the cinematographer on The Hunt for Red October. All right. Yeah. Nice. Flatliners. Okay. Basic Instinct. Uh, Lethal Weapon Three, mm. and now we're crossing over to his work as a director so he was the director of both speed and speed 2
0: cruise control oh wow that's quite a reference i wonder if that'll come up again
1: maybe maybe he also you like this movie he was the director of twister
0: (laughs) i mean twister's a a fun movie to watch i i don't know i'm sorry am i
1: speaking out of turn (laughs) you seem you seem slightly bashful (laughs) to admit to liking twister i just uh
0: (laughs) I like how completely ridiculous it is.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, yeah.
0: I mean, there are so yeah. I were, mean,
1: it's not really any more ridiculous than like speed.
0: Maybe, but I mean, Die Hard seems absolutely grounded in reality compared to Twister.
1: <laughs> but do you like with what I was saying earlier about how these people have a certain kind of niche? Can you kind of get a sense of that from I, his I work? Can. Yeah. yeah. So and then he's 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 kind of gone bounce back and forth because then he also was the cinematographer on The Haunting as well as Laura Croft Tomb Raider. All right. So, OK, so moving on. So this is interesting because I think this is the first time in a minute that we've had two editors on a film.
0: Yeah, we've had a couple, but it's not it's not as common. It's
1: not common. Um, but the two gentlemen that we have here. So the first is John F. Link. Mm hmm. Okay. As John F. Link. As John F. Link. Uh, So lots of TV work. This guy did a lot of TV. Um, But among some of his film credits, so he he edited both Commando and Predator.
0: I mean, Predator obviously is a classic, but Commando, underrated movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel I, I would agree with you. And I think you could probably also begin to get a sense that there's like overlap between these creatives. Like they've kind of worked together already. On other types of films, um, he also was the editor of Roadhouse, mm. Hard to Kill, which sounds like a James Bond movie to me. But no, it's that's not. a
0: Steven Seagal movie, I believe. Right, but yeah. it sounds
1: like a James Bond film. Hard to Kill. Come on.
0: He's not hard to kill, though. He's impossible to kill. That would be the James Bond title. Like, can't kill him.
1: Can't kill him. Yeah. That's <laughs> the next movie. Yeah. Uh, he also edited the Hand, the Rocks, the Cradle. Both of the Mighty Duck movies, the Three Musketeers, and then something that's like kind of a very different genre, A Low Down Dirty Shame. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to the other gentleman, uh, Frank J. G- I'm going to butcher this. Yeah. Urioste? 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 Urioste?
0: Say it really fast. Urioste. Yeah, there we go. Okay.
1: So, amongst some of his editing credits, Amityville 3D... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did Conan the Destroyer, Red Sonja, RoboCop.
0: Conan the Destroyer, by the way, is probably the best of the Conan movies. How
1: many are there?
0: There's several. I think that was the one with uh, Wilt Chamberlain and Grace Jones.
1: I thought there were only two.
0: Well, there are, I think, a couple with, uh, with Arnie. And then okay. there's Arnie. Red Sonia, which is based off that same thing. And then oh, they did is. like a okay. whole reboot. Of both, I think. I think they did like another Conan, and I think they're getting another Red Sonja.
1: Hmm. Here's what's really interesting, because this is, I think, the first time I've seen this. I already mentioned that Mr. Link was the editor of Roadhouse. This guy also edited on Roadhouse. So again, they shared editing responsibilities. I mean,
0: I don't find it as unusual that Roadhouse would need a couple different editors to... (laughs) To make sure that they put together the best roadhouse movie they could <laughs>
1: possible. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, he also edited Total Recall, Basic Instincts. We've already mentioned that
0: the the original Total Recall, right? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, Cliffhanger. That I I think nice. that is an underrated movie. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, it's, I like that movie. Yeah, it's people people know of Cliffhanger. People,
1: yeah, sure. Yeah. One of our, now I think I can pretty definitively say this, one of our favorite movies, he edited Tombstone.
0: I thought you were going to say Terminal Velocity, but yeah, Tombstone is way better.
1: (laughs) Um, And then some of his kind of more, well, this isn't so recent, uh, Cutthroat Island, Lethal Weapon 4. (laughs) And then I had to mention this because I say this every time this movie comes up. I saw it in the theater, Deep Blue Sea.
0: You do say that. Yeah, every time. Every time, (laughs) Every time I feel bad about that but I've seen it in about the theater. that choice yeah
1: <laughs> okay so moving on and we do talk about her briefly with our special guest I thought it was finally time to bring up this individual because she is such an integral figure especially in 80s film as far as casting goes okay she's a huge name Jackie Birch. Uh, I mean, I know her because she cast on so many of the John Hughes films, mm. so she's a very familiar name, and I'm just going to give you, and this is just a fraction of the films that she's worked on.
0: What fraction is this?
1: You mean by numbers? Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: we got thir- 25%, 30%? 30, 36%.
1: 30,
0: okay, perfect.
1: Okay, so some of her films, 16 Candles,
0: mm-hmm. The
1: Breakfast Club, Mask... Weird Science, hmm. Fright Night, Commando, Three Amigos, Project X, Predator and Predator Two, The Running Man, Coming to America, Nice, Roadhouse, Wow, Another Forty Eight Hours, Dick Tracy, Die Hard Two, Hudson Hawk, Hot Shots Part 2, Beverly Hills Cop Three, Judge Dredd, and I still know what you did last summer. <laughs> I that's, mean come on. And that's
0: just 36%.
1: Exactly. I mean talk about the influence that this person has had on these films that now we love and have this like great nostalgia for. Yeah. Like that's in large part because of her in the casting choices that were made which resulted in, you know, particular actors being placed in these films and the perform- like it all comes back to the casting. So I thought she deserved a shout out.
0: I mean for her to cast Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando was inspired.
1: <laughs> All right. So moving on to actually someone we've brought up before. Um, costume design, which I know you may not like necessarily think costume design for Die Hard. But I think if I'm remembering correctly, Bruce Willis donated one of those... Dirty undershirt tees to like the Smithsonian or something because it has become that iconic.
0: Wow, so, I would not have uh, I would not have guessed that.
1: Yeah, so we've brought her up before, Marilyn
0: Vance. She made uh, going barefoot popular again, didn't she?
1: That's interesting. I wonder exactly like what input she would have had on that conversation because that's really a function of the script. Yeah, because I'm sure that that was something that was made mention of. So, in any case. If you would like to hear more about Ms. Vance, we talk about her in depth in episode 16, which was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, oh, yeah. which she did the costume design for. So, okay, moving on. We have a lot of new actors that we haven't talked about before that uh, it's are It's about in, time. It's about time um, that are in this film. So, starting with...
0: Paul Gleason. <laughs> Wait, no, we have uh...
1: That's the one guy. No, actually, <laughs> like one of two guys yeah. that we have actually talked about before. Uh, but... We're going to start with Mr. Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. So he plays Mr. John, I don't know why I keep being so formal, Mr. Yeah. Mr. John McCain, uh, McClane. Did you call him McCain? I did. I did. That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but um, so we, we talk a, a lot about actually some of the other films that he's done with our special guest, but I'll, I'll do a rundown. Yeah. Um, because something that I, I pretty much double down on in that conversation with her is I don't think he actually gets the credit he deserves as a legitimately accomplished actor and i think that becomes uh like that that comes out of him being so affiliated with this franchise which most people aren't thinking about for like the quality of the acting per se um but so he kind of first came to fame on television when he was uh part of moonlighting with sybil shepherd Mm -hmm. um he also i think this was this Pretty sure it was prior to Die Hard. He was on Blind Date, that movie. Or I shouldn't say on Blind the, He was in Blind Eight.
0: Yeah, the, the movie. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and then after Die Hard, I don't know if you remember this. I actually thought these films were pretty funny. He's one of the voices in Look Who's Talking. And Look Who's Talking, too.
0: Wow. I did yeah. not.
1: He's like the kid. He's like the baby. <laughs> um, which I thought was a really interesting That's amazing. role to take on yeah. for him. So, of course, he is the face of the Die Hard franchise, so he has been in every single Die Hard movie since. So that includes Die Hard 2, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard, and A Good Day to Die Hard. So he's been in all of them.
0: That's all? I thought we had more. We'll mm, get more.
1: Well, we talk about that with Caroline, about the possibility.
0: We get a battery commercial and what, now.
1: And what that, what's that?
0: We get a battery commercial with him now.
1: Which is actually pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes I sense. thought it was hilarious yeah. that he did that.
1: Okay, so some of his other credits, which I think do some of the okay, some of them don't, but some of them do show a little bit more of his acting range. So he's in Bonfire of the Vanities.
0: Yeah,
1: Hudson Hawk, which we have mentioned several yeah. times at this point. <laughs> surprisingly, God help us. He, it has <laughs> the Last Boy Scout. I mentioned this with our guest. I love this film. Death Becomes Her. Yeah. I think that's an underrated film. I think that outside of Die Hard, probably most people also identify him with Pulp Fiction.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I think even The Whole Nine Yards was okay. That was an okay, okay comedy with him.
1: You are completely entitled to your opinion. <laughs> um, let's see. 12 Monkeys.
0: Yeah. Great excellent, movie. Excellent movie.
1: Excellent movie. You mentioned this because, I mean, this is like just one of our bedtime movies at this point, The Fifth Element.
0: Yes. Yeah. So It's a soothing movie a to soothing- fall asleep to.
1: <laughs> it's a very relaxing movie. Exactly. Um, I remember seeing this in the theater, Armageddon. Uh,
0: so I have seen Armageddon more times than I can even remember, partly because a long time ago, when I lived in Arizona, I had a roommate who had let's just call it a illegal cable descrambler box <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it and he had it tuned into like whatever pay-per-view channel which just was repeating Armageddon over and over and over
1: Unless it's been on TV and you've been like, I want to watch this. I have not seen it since yeah. it was in the theater, in large part because of the super cringe scene. Which one? Yeah, there's a lot. But in particular, between Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler, and where the he's like,
0: animal cookie. oh,
1: it's terrible. It is so cringe. <laughs> I-, I feel terrible that they had to go through with that. Anyway.
0: Anyways, Bruce Willis also is in that movie. Yes.
1: Um, and then following that up with Six Sense.
0: Yeah. Where, I mean, that's definitely one where you can see that he he is like a legit, really he's good actor. Legit. Yeah.
1: yeah. He's really good. And I would say the same for like Pulp Fiction and 12 Monkeys. I think those are films that show his range. Yeah. Um, he also, and he's, re- he's really great at comedy. I mean, that's kind of how he first became known because he was arguably the, the funny one. He was on the comic Moonlight. relief in Moonlighting. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a short stint on Friends, and he's really funny
0: in that. I wonder if that's how the whole Nine Yards came to came to happen.
1: Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he then, I know you know these films. Um, he's in Unbreakable. You like that?
0: Yeah, Unbreakable, Split. He's in Split.
1: Isn't he just like kind of like the post-credit? Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Spoilers.
1: Sorry. And then
0: <laughs> obviously again in Glass. Glass. Yeah.
1: And then he's also in Looper
0: yes yeah Yeah.
1: um and you know what i will he's in a lot he's in a lot yeah he's done a a ton and i think i'll wait on the quote announced film and just let everybody hear our conversation with that with caroline because we we go in quite in depth about what that all means but there (laughs) is a new announced movie with him that we will talk about later
0: spoiler it's his name
1: (laughs) spoiler (laughs) it's bruce willis no i'm just kidding It's, it's McLean. um Okay, so moving on to Alan Rickman. Uh, again, we talk about him at length with our guest, and I think it's pretty much uh, a uniform opinion that he left us much too soon. Uh, the entertainment and acting world are much poorer for it. He was a tremendous actor, and we're all so lucky that he actually was part of this film because he really elevates it. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: Hans Gruber is a great movie villain. Great. Yeah, and yeah. and Alan Rickman just nails it. And for that to have been uh, really his first big American movie performance is just amazing. Totally
1: agree. So among some of his other credits, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Sense and Sensibility. I really like him in that movie. He's really good. Yeah. Uh, Michael Collins. I you know I've seen the movie but I just don't remember him in it. Dogma.
0: Yeah, he's he's like kind of uh, he helps. He's like in a he helps. yeah okay. he's an assistant to the protagonist of Dogma. Got it. Uh, yeah, but he's he's great in that movie. I can remember a lot of his scenes. I can re- that's that's the one where um, wasn't weren't Ben Affleck and Matt Damon yeah, like
1: the, I thought they were the protagonists. Awful of that movie.
0: like. Yeah, they were they were angels.
1: And if I'm remembering correctly, Alanis Morissette was God.
0: That's correct. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Weird pull. Um weird movie. Weird movie. So I from just personally, this role that he played in this movie for me goes toe to toe with Hans Gruber, and that is Galaxy Quest.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was looking at Galaxy Quest and thinking well, I'm sure this is going to be a great poll, but after you're done talking about this, I'm going to bring up Galaxy Quest.
1: <laughs> Beat you to it. Yeah. Um, he is so good and so funny. I mean, that's just a legit, really great, funny movie. Like, everybody in that movie is really awesome. Yeah. So please go see it. It's not an 80s movie, so we can't cover it, mm. but it's great. As we talk about with Caroline, one thing that I'm really thankful for because he's no longer with us is that hopefully a younger generation of movie lovers will come to know him and love him as much as we do through his Harry Potter yeah. movies, in which he's in every single one playing Professor Snape. And he is just tremendous in that. Caroline actually I'd kind of forgot. I didn't forget that he was in this movie, but I kind of for some reason like wasn't thinking about it in terms of like holiday movies. But he's in love actually. He he plays an interesting role in that because he's not altogether likable, but not in like a straight villain kind of way. You're just kind of really irritated with
0: him. I don't think there are necessarily villains in that movie. That'd be maybe it'd be a better movie if there were. Arguably
1: the American president is. Well, as played by Billy Bob Thornton. But moving on, he's also in Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. And I didn't realize this. He's in Lee Daniels, the butler. He plays Ronald Reagan.
0: Wow. He's also he's the voice of Marvin, who I think is like this big giant headed robot in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. And let's not forget that he did voice one character in one episode of King of the Hill.
1: Okay. Thank you for that. No problem. <laughs> okay, so moving on to Bonnie Bedelia. Such a great last name. Uh, she plays Holly Gennaro McLean, But I think for most of the movies, she prefers to just go by Holly Gennaro. hmm Yeah. As John very rudely tells her.
0: He brings it up in a pretty like aggressive way. Pretty
1: aggro way. Yeah. Uh, so, among some of her credits, earlier ones include They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Which I know that got Is that a main... question
0: or a name of a movie? Both. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. Lovers and Other Strangers. She comes back for Die Hard 2. She's also in Presumed Innocent needful things
0: which is an excellent Stephen King book and a pretty good movie with I think Max von Sydow again
1: oh okay cool so I actually do love this movie it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure for me and I do not remember her in this movie anywhere but here with Natalie Portman and Susan Sar- no not Susan Sarandon oh wait yeah that is Susan Sar- wait I'm thinking <laughs> we have completely <laughs> fallen off the rails Anyway, she's in that movie. Um, and as well as a couple of TV series that are more among some of her more recent credits. Uh, the Division. Okay. Not familiar with it. But then also Parenthood. I remember that being on there. That yeah. That that went off there just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, okay. So moving on to Reginald Bell Johnson. He plays Sergeant L. Al- Powell. Mm-hmm. So we actually do very briefly bring this up in our... Ghostbusters episode do you remember who he was in Ghostbusters
0: no I don't
1: I mean it's kind of a blink and you'll miss him
0: I blinked okay I missed him
1: he is the jail guard that calls for the Ghostbusters okay yeah nice cool huh um so that's like one of his like first film credits he's also in Crocodile Dundee now a little bit of trivia for you Uh oh okay so I think that most people probably identify him as the dad in Family Matters.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: For sure. Do you know what TV series was the series that provided, like, how do I put this without sounding so convoluted? It provided, like, Family Matters with being the, the spin off from this show.
0: He first um, appeared
1: as that character on a different television show.
0: Wasn't he a cop who arrested Uncle Jesse in Full House? And then it led to the spin off of Family Matters? Or did I just make that out of thin air right now?
1: I mean, he could have been a cop, but that's definitely not. Damn. Well, I took not. a shot. You took a shot. Yeah. Okay, this is going to blow your mind. Perfect Strangers. <laughs> nice. Isn't that great? <laughs> that's
0: a, yeah, that is.
1: Which makes sense because both series are set in Chicago.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can kind of picture him in that series now that you mention it. I, I don't, know. don't know how
1: many times he yeah. was in it, but that is where the character originated. Nice. So yeah, pretty cool. He also was in Turner and Hooch. He also came back for Die Hard 2. He was in the TV series of Tron Uprising.
0: Not familiar with that, which is crazy because. If I you're not think familiar with Tron. it,
1: I'm definitely not. Yeah. Um more recently, he's been on Mike and Molly and Heart of Dixie. And then just in addition to like I really again was paring down all the credits I mentioned. He's just been in a ton of TV. Ton of TV, so... Yeah,
0: he's been an episode of It's Always Sunny.
1: Correct. Yeah. 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 So, okay, so here's the thing. I'm kind of breaking my rule where I don't really go down the path of, like, talking about somebody's credits if we've already mentioned him in a pre- previous episode. But I'm making an exception here for Paul Gleason, who plays Dwayne T. Robinson in the film. Like, kind of the... He's not, like, the chief of police, but he's definitely, like, a higher-ranking dude.
0: All I know is that he's not in charge of jack shit.
1: Exactly. Um, the reason why I'm breaking my rule is because the only other time he's come up was in our very first episode, which was The Breakfast Club, where, I mean, it was our very first episode. If you, look,
0: if you've listened to that first episode and you're listening to this, thank you.
1: God bless you. Yeah. Um, we were kind of still figuring out our format.
0: We still are.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't actually talk about his other credits. Okay. So that's why I'm doing it now. Um, like Val Johnson, he's done a ton of television. But in addition, some of his film credits, he's in Trading Places. Mm. He, like I just mentioned, he is Vernon in The Breakfast Club. Infamous character. Um, I had to bring this up because it was just hilarious. He is in the TV movie Ewoks, The Battle for Endor.
0: That was real bad. <laughs> I did watch it when I was a kid. I wasn't sure what to think, and then I saw it, and I did not think And then think you formed much. an opinion. Yes, and that opinion was that I would like to forget that I had seen that.
1: So we will move on. Some of his other credits, she's having a baby, Johnny Be Good. Again, he pairs up with, uh, uh, oh my gosh, his name, Anthony Michael Hall.
0: I was going to make up a name.
1: Holy moly, I can't believe I was blanking on that. Okay, I Love Trouble. And then another TV series that he was on for quite a while, One West Waikiki.
0: That sounds fancy. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a good place.
1: I had to mention this because it's hilarious. So he spoofs himself on not another teen movie because he plays Richard Vernon again, which is amazing. (laughs) Okay. Like, what a sense of humor. Yeah. So awesome. Okay, so moving on to the gentleman who plays Argyle. He goes by, De- I don't know why I'm saying it, like it's an alias. Devereaux? Yeah, Devereaux White. And he also kind of came up, I mean, he was already pretty young in the movie, and he already was like, had been doing stuff for quite a while. So I guess you could maybe call him a child actor? I
0: think so. Yeah. I mean, he goes, he goes pretty far back.
1: Yeah, I mean, some of the TV shows that he was on very young, The Jeffersons, What's Happening. Um... I mentioned this for you. Mm -hmm. Did you know that he's in the Blues Brothers?
0: I did. And I know that he's the guy that Ray Charles shoots at. Because he's the guy who tries to steal. Why do you know that?
1: Did you just look at that? Maybe. Okay. Maybe. But
0: but as soon as I saw the Blues Brothers credit, I'm like, oh, I bet bet that's who he was. You're right.
1: He also was on Little House on the Prairie. TJ Hooker, Different Strokes, 227.
0: TJ Hooker, by the way, has one of the best intros that you'll I, ever I see. I knew you were gonna bring that up. I can't, I can't not mention it. When he <laughs> flips over the hood of the car in like his majestic. Shatner action pose, majestic. Majestic.
1: And then he was on for quite a while on the show Head of the Class.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a fun show.
1: It seems like he hasn't been in the world of acting as much more recently as he was back then, mostly in the 80s. Um, but he, you just mentioned it, the Die Hard TV commercial. He's in that yeah. with Bruce Willis. So. Die Hard is back. Yeah. So Okay, so moving on. This is the one gentleman that I'm going to kind of like a little bit briefly go over. However, we've, I think, now reached the trifecta of William Atherton movies weirdly, he's, we have covered every major movie he's been in in the 80s. He's
0: kind of the same guy. And yeah, and he's kind he, of the same guy. Yeah, he goes from, like, I don't know what the order is, but he was once uh, a renowned professor who then lost his job in in Real Genius and was able to pivot and became an employee of the EPA. Mm-hmm. But after the devastation that occurred in New York, he, he just got whatever job he could get working for uh, the local news in L.A.,
1: I think you did that in correct chronological order. Yes, I'm pretty sure. And you, so you just nailed it. So, if you would like to know more about William Atherton, I recommend that you go to either episode six, where we talk about him in Real Genius, or episode nine, where we talk about him in Ghostbusters,
0: because he is in both. I I kind of feel like if you met him in real life, he's
1: probably the nicest guy ever.
0: I was gonna say he's just that person, <laughs> but yeah, oh. no. <laughs> you're it's it's probably more what you said he probably is like a super nice guy that's just really good at acting like complete asshole yeah,
1: yeah. okay so moving on some of the last uh individuals that i wanted to bring up because i don't think that there will be an opportunity to do so with some of the other films that we cover um first of all alexander oh boy good enough thank you yeah who plays carl so with a k carl with a k not a lot of credits, unfortunately, because he passed at a relatively early age. So who knows if he would have gone on to, to do more. Um, but among some of his credits, Anna Karenina. I think I'm
0: saying that right.
1: Uh, Witness.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember from three movies. Die Hard, Witness, and The, the Money, money pit. pit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So those are those are the ones that I have. Okay. So now moving on to James Shigata, who plays Takaji. Takagi. Takagi. Takagi my apologies so he's I mean long resume of acting credits and he's done a pretty even mix it seems of like tv and movies and of course his career started way before Die Hard so some of his earlier credits he was on a tv series called Medical Center what was that about I haven't the (laughs) faintest um but he was on it he also was on the Rockford Files Fantasy Island I put this one down for you, The Greatest American Hero.
0: Nice. Thank you.
1: Um, This one, I guess, given what you just said, is also for you. TJ Hooker, he was on. (laughs) The Love Boat, Magnum P.I., Simon & Simon. So lots of 80s greats. Uh,
0: I wish you hadn't even said Simon & Simon because now that theme song is in my head.
1: Well, that's on you. Yep. Um, He also was a voice actor on The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, as well as the animated version of
0: Mulan. Oh, the the best version of Milan. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then he also had a bit on uh the first iteration of Beverly Hills 90210. So a very varied career. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So actually another gentleman that I'm gonna refer everyone back to a different episode, Robert Dobby, who plays Big Johnson in this movie.
0: Oh, okay. Got it. Yes. I'm like, what? Are we still talking about the same movie? So,
1: like, a small role, but, like, very memorable. Like, which I think, again, speaks to just the quality of the acting in this film. Like, he makes an impact, even though he's on the screen for really just a couple minutes.
0: He was in The Goonies, right?
1: That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. If you want to learn more about him, because he has had very extensive career. Uh, please go back to episode three where we cover him in the Goonies. He's one of the Fatelli brothers.
0: Yeah. He, I mean, it doesn't work out well in the end for the FBI no. guys in Die Hard, but no. there is like just an amazingly hilarious moment that they have in, in the helicopter when they're getting ready to like take, take yeah. him down. Yeah. So.
1: Okay. So lastly, uh, the person I'm going to cover gentleman by the name of Hart Bochner and he plays Ellis. So, uh, I mean, Ellis, Ellis you I,
0: damn cokehead.
1: <laughs> so, some of his credits, uh, he was in Supergirl. Didn't know that.
0: Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: he was. He, it's interesting because he's done like a couple miniseries, and like one from back of like I think the heyday of miniseries because they were like super popular in the '80s. Um, he was in War and Remembrance. Uh, he also was in Anywhere But Here.
0: He was in a. Um... A movie that possibly only my dad, who I'm positive does not listen to this, would know. A movie called Breaking Away with Dennis Quaid and a few other people that were like pretty well-known. It's about a kid obsessed with an Italian cycling team.
1: That makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: For your dad.
0: (laughs) Yes. So Uh, I had to bring it up.
1: (laughs) No, that's cool. He also was in For Your Consideration. He was in the TV series The Starter Wife. And another miniseries called Too Old to Die Young.
0: That checks out because right? you're too old to die young. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense.
1: Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the synopsis. Okay. You ready?
0: Wait. What? Okay. Now I'm ready. Wh- why? Oh, because you're
1: going to it. Okay. Gotcha. Here we go. An NYPD officer tries to save his wife and several others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're not really terrorists. I don't know if they're German. I guess they're German. They're supposed to be German, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're supposed to be German.
0: Yeah. No, um, I, I, got, I got no problem with that synopsis.
1: Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I think it's hilarious. He's like several others and... It's just like kind of the. Th- anyway, I the, there were several others. There were several yeah. others. The only thing that I would maybe change, because I think it would help to inform the story a little bit, is yeah. to just have said tries to save his estranged wife, mm. because that's actually more accurate. That's true, but that's about it.
0: That's sadder. the rest fine. Yeah.
1: Um. Okay. So we don't have a montage.
0: No, there's no real montage because it this.
1: all takes place in like literally a night. Yeah. So that's there's okay. like no time for a I mean, montage.
0: Maybe there's but... a montage when they when they wheel out the uh, the car. Get the car. Maybe that's a montage. No, it's not. No. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate you trying. I tried. You tried. Yeah. Um. Okay. So a couple just real quick fun facts. Not fracks, facts. Facts. Before we go into our conversation with Caroline, as we reference at the top of the episode, yippee motherfucker. Mm-hmm. It's used in all five Die Hard films.
0: Yes, it is. And edited in at least one of them to Mr. Falcon.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. Man, that's a bad, that was a bad call. <laughs> um, I'm going to, how do I do this? I like want to pass on to you the next film fact. I'm going I'm going to do like um what is it password where like I say a word and you try to guess what I'm Okay. Okay, this is fun. Okay, so Nakatomi Plaza.
0: Oh, Fox Plaza. There you go. In Century City actually is 2121 Avenue of the Stars, which is the uh address that they list when uh Willis is calling into the to the radio dispatch to try to get help. Um yeah. I I used to work in that building. You did. And we talk about that with Caroline and Everyone that works there really loves the fact that they work in Nakatomi Plaza. Like they did the 30th anniversary screening where we actually got uh, Reginald Johnson and Bonnie Bedelia to show up. And they were able to talk a little bit about their experience in the movie and their experience after the movie and how it's such a beloved film. Uh, They had tours set up so that people could actually go down into, I think the basement levels of the building which is where they shot some of the rooftop scenes Mm -hmm. um had cop car and uh, twinkies it was a great setup and watching it on the side of nakatomi plaza where they had all the they brought out all the nakatomi plaza signage it was it was super cool and they definitely feel like the building is like a character Mm -hmm. it's part of of the movie so that was Uh, a really cool experience we talk a little a little bit more about it Mm -hmm. possibly I've talked more about it now (laughs) but we do talk about it more with with uh, Caroline but yeah
1: it was a really fun experience I was very lucky to get to experience it with you and like we still have our Nakatomi Plaza chairs we do we still got those (laughs) and actually kind of on a related note and we Definitely dive into this with Caroline. But this whole is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not. uh, I think that, like, the definitive word should come from the studio that made it. Mm -hmm. And when Fox was doing kind of all the hoopla for the 30th anniversary of it,
0: they confirmed. Yeah, by then, like, there were meetings... That That I sat in and where they talked about we're definitely pushing it as a Christmas movie, yeah, so, so yeah they they have long since considered it as such. I think the movie itself was was a blockbuster hit. I think it's fair to say that it being thought of as a Christmas movie has been like if there is any like cult appreciation for the movie, I think that might be it, where mm-hmm. a lot of people really love the movie. Fewer people have, like, been on board for this being a Christmas movie, but I think that that group is growing. I agree. Yeah.
1: And I think that's a perfect segue into our conversation with Caroline.
0: I would agree. Let's do it.
1: And we are absolutely thrilled to have with us today a wonderful friend and fellow diehard fan, Caroline Doby. Caroline, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: We're we're totally stoked to have you here. Um, this is going to kick off our little mini series of episodes that cover holiday movies. Which, right there, are, we're throwing down the gauntlet.
0: I mean, is there even a discussion about it? Absolutely, is a holiday movie.
2: One hundred percent. Well, I mean, the opening song, well, needle drop, I should say, is a Christmas song. Absolutely, it's a rap Christmas yeah. song. Yep. And yep. Peppered throughout the movie
1: is Christmas songs. Christmas Constantly. Music. Yeah. Constantly. And we'll, we'll totally get into maybe like trying to play devil's advocate and see why some <laughs> people, because I personally don't understand why there's like this like weird animosity <laughs> about people saying, no, it is not a Christmas movie. Yeah. I don't under-
2: Yeah. It's, it's not a traditional Christmas movie. It doesn't have like, you know, like, uh, I, I like, Happy pep, you know, peppery, you know, goodness and stuff. But it's a Christmas movie. I mean, the whole thing is Christmas.
1: And actually, even a
0: Christmas miracle brought to you by the FBI. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Uh, By Big Johnson and Little Johnson. (laughs) Okay, cool. So we obviously we have a lot to dive into. So I'm going to get started and you know start things off with our typical question, which is. Do you have a first memory of seeing this movie? And if you do, what were your initial thoughts of it? I unfortunately
2: do not. I okay. probably saw it as a kid because um, it came out in 88. So I was too young to see it in a theater mm-hmm. uh, at that point because it's rated R. But I probably saw it as a kid like on HBO or wait, my parents might have rented it or bought the VHS. That's, I, just, I just aged myself by saying they bought a VHS. <laughs> <laughs> But um, that's probably how I saw it. I probably saw it in my living room. But I've seen it so many times now, I can't remember. It's yeah. like
1: same, because I was thinking about that too. And this is one of those like weird movies where I don't remember having a first like viewing of it, but I don't remember not knowing this movie, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Same. There's a
0: good chance that my dad took me to see this in a theater, but I can't remember for sure whether that's true. But yeah, I've I, seen it so many times it feels like it's just always kind of like been part of my movie library.
2: Mm-hmm. I did ask my mom because I, if if she remembered, like if they had taken me to the theater, because like sometimes they took me to movies that weren't exactly, that were rated R, <laughs> but they were okay. Because right. I mean, I mean, this movie there really isn't much nudity except for the one woman at the beginning. Unnecessary
0: when the, shot at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. 80s, and then 80 staples yeah. of, of having right. some woman showing her movies.
1: Okay. <laughs> and then the
2: poster in like the elevator mm-hmm. area. But like, other than that, it's mainly swears and violence. So, mm-hmm. but she said there was n- absolutely no way that they took me
1: to see that movie. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's actually funny. So is your mom, it like, is she a fan of this movie or is this just oh. not her kind of movie? No, she
2: loves it, but she, okay. at the age I was when that movie was released, because it was released in the summer of 88, so mm-hmm. I don't even think, I think, uh I'm not going to say how old I was because I don't want your That's audience. Okay. <laughs> Fair. But I was basically too young to, mm-hmm.
1: to for them to take me to
2: that movie.
1: Got it. So it's more of a, like, no way, that would have been way too much for you at that time. Yeah.
2: Got yeah. it. My parents yeah, took my mom. To loves aliens, though.
0: So pre- because my parents took me to Aliens, I feel like it's pretty likely one of them brought me to see this too i really see, do
2: i sometimes wonder if my dad would have taken me but i don't i don't know because he took me to see major league yeah and he took me to see flash dance which is <laughs> what <a maniac>. yeah. <laughs> wow yeah my mom was not happy
1: <laughs> that is so gosh i feel like that could be a whole other conversation because i'm fascinated by your dad taking you to see flash dance. <laughs>
2: Well, and as a kid, I loved it because I didn't understand it. As an adult, not so much. Sorry, the makers of Flashdance, if you're listening to this.
1: That's okay. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a it's a very kind of like hit or miss, I think, kind of movie. It, ha- I mean, look, arguably has an amazing soundtrack. Probably yes. one of the best soundtracks of the 80s. But um, yeah, which, okay. So moving back to Die Hard. I thought
0: we were talking. When you said best soundtrack in <laughs> the 80s, I figured we'd yeah. already gotten back to Die Hard.
1: Well, okay, so what I'm, curious about is people okay so this is I wouldn't call it like a cult film because I think it has a much no. bigger yeah you yeah you know following than that. But I it it like the reason why I even bring up that term is because people really love this film. And I mean, I'm yeah, I'm like, I like what is it for you that just draws you to this movie the way that it does.
2: I think it is by far one of the I mean Christmas stuff aside I think it's one of the greatest smartest action movies I mean since there, there's been others since that movie has been made but before that movie before Die Hard action movies weren't as intelligent and mm-hmm. thought yeah. out and even though um, this movie was I mean I don't know if you know that you know how quickly this movie was written like they were writing as they were shooting yeah. so always, which is...
1: always a smart move <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> yeah, which is why at the end of the movie a um ambulance comes out of a truck that was empty at the beginning of the movie. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Nice. Yeah, no, it's yeah. I, I I never noticed it either until recently. But yeah, so I mean, but it's just such a great movie and and Bruce Willis is such it was such and is still a non-conventional action star. Mhm. You know, he, so, I mean, and then I love the comedy in it. I just love, mm-hmm. I, I love the guy who plays the reporter because he's such a jerk. Yes. And so there's just so many things I love. I Oh God, and Alan Rickman. Yes, who, I'm so glad I you miss, brought him up. I miss him every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish we could see him do new things, but he is so great as Hans Gruber.
0: Yeah, no, it, and that was his first uh, major mm-hmm role in an American film Mm -hmm. at least. And I think, you know, regardless of whether I actually did see this in the theater or whether I just saw it on what they call the VHS, (laughs) um, I think like what I remember most from when I first saw it was just, and we've kind of talked about this with a lot of 80s movies. So maybe there's something to that, but I, I hadn't seen anything like that. The way that they condensed all everything to this like building so that there's almost this claustrophobic sense Mm -hmm. to him being trapped in there it's just him against all these other like all the baddies who ostensibly were german but they really weren't and they could barely speak german but anyways um (laughs) it it was just you know such a different kind of action movie so that now like the joke is that like in pitch meetings everyone would say like it's it's diehard but meets Yeah, die hard in in this kind of setting. Like, Speed 2 was die hard on a boat. Yeah, and then
2: I think, why would you bring up Speed 2? I don't know. Why Speed 2? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, you, you bring up the bad one, not the good one. Uh,
1: sorry, Caroline. I had to point that out because it's such an odd. <laughs> I only
0: because of uh, uh, the Lost Boys. Because we were the just connection. talking about yeah. Jason Patrick. Okay, exactly. Got, oh, got yeah. okay. All right.
1: All right. So, Caroline, sorry, we we very rudely interrupted you. What were you going to say?
2: Uh, honestly, I do not remember. But <laughs> but I I I think Die Hard is just I love, I've seen it a million times and I watch it every year at this time of year and. It never gets old. It just is always just a fun roller coaster ride. And totally so... agree.
1: And one thing that um when we were watching it last night, I was surprised because I never thought about it. It's an over two-hour movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that really surprised me because I feel like the pacing of it is so great that it doesn't feel like Mm-mm. a two-hour movie to me. Um, which also I think is I mean, I don't know. I can't really qualify this because it's not like I really did research on it. But I feel like it is a little bit
0: longer for
1: an action movie.
0: I think it is. Um, I think it is, too.
1: Yeah. Which makes it that much more impressive that it moves along at the rate it does. And I think, uh, I mean, I agree with both of your points. I think one of the main, um, like, positive and, and different novel type of elements of this film is the fact that it is in one single setting. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, Derek, I think you're totally right. It adds to that kind of claustrophobic feel of it. Now, I'm curious. I like full disclosure, I have not. I rarely read, <laughs> whether this is good or bad, the source material that the screenplay might have been based on. Caroline, have you read the novel that this is based on at all? I have
2: not. I mean, I know yeah. it's based on a novel and I know the ending is different, but that's okay. about. Because like like the ending in the novel, the so and the character is different. The character was like sixty years old. John McClane was sixty years old
1: versus thirty. That's about as much as I know about it at all. Yeah.
2: And then the ending of the book is his daughter, because it's his daughter. He, I think the the when I understand it's the daughter. It's she's the one who works in the building. He drops her off, and as he drops her off, everything goes down, and then his daughter falls from the top of the building or from out of the window. Not, not the bad guy.
0: Was this written by Stephen King? Wow.
2: (laughs) And fun fact, this was originally meant to be for uh, Frank Sinatra.
1: That's interesting. I had heard that Clint Eastwood also. Yeah. I I know that these things kind of pass around a lot with like names attached. That would have been a very different movie.
2: So there was a movie. It was a book called, or a movie called The Detective, which starred Frank Sinatra. And the Got guy it. who wrote Di- uh, the book, he wrote, you know. And so when they did the movie, I um, uh, Fox wanted to do a sequel. So they asked the guy to write the sequel, and then it took him like ten years. And anyway, was it written all this by George happened. R. R. Martin? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it took a long time to write it and and whatnot, and like a whole bunch of stuff happened. So by the time they actually had a screenplay to like pitch mm-hmm. uh frank sinatra was like pretty old <laughs> <You know? laughs> it so... but they had to offer it to him first
0: oh yes. you know like write a first refusal on it or something yeah
2: and so he said he was he said there was no way he was too old so he passed which and then yes they offered it to clint eastwood like pretty much every action star out there
0: mm-hmm. nobody and they then didn't... finally
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Bruce> Willis. <laughs> Who's, of who's famously of Moonlighting was, fame. Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> Moonlighting in the Seagram's wine cooler commercials. Yeah. That was like
1: his, that's what he was known for. Which, in, at the end of the day, what a great bit of casting. Mm-hmm. Because he, like you you kind of said it earlier in the show, he brings a totally different energy to this. Yes. And I love it. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons. Because, like, mm, I mean, I guess I, like, I do, I do like action movies and um, certainly don't have anything against them but I do think that a lot of them kind of come across as very like cookie cutter or bland because that main protagonist really the only thing they have going for them is that, like they're tough and they're going to figure out how to like save the day but they don't really have a personality Mm-mm. and and I love that
0: John McClane's personality is to just look really smug he does yeah. have a lot
1: of smugness yeah <laughs> This is this is true, especially when he's going through that party in the beginning. The the intro there is just he
0: just had like the same smug look on his face from the moment he's on the plane until until the gunfire erupts. Yeah, really. And then it's like, oh, fuck.
1: Yeah. Um, But I love how much of a like three dimensional character they make out of him. And, you know, I think it's. I think it's really interesting, like, some of the things, like, look, I know that sometimes you have to take these stories with, like, a grain of salt, because um, you don't know who it's, like, been passed around to, but, like, I've heard a couple um, bits of, like, trivia about, like, how he decided to play the role, how the role was written, and I mean, one thing that I think um, I read is that between Willis and uh, the director, John McTiernan, that he's basically a guy who, like, doesn't really like himself that much, but you know, is like trying to find trying trying to do the best he can. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way of looking at his character. And I think that comes across, um, like when he has that fight with his wife, and I mean, he's kind of a dick because like she basically says, like, I I really missed you. And he's Ooh. like, well, you didn't miss my last name. You know, and he just completely <laughs> shuts down <laughs> any yeah. any chance of having like a a like productive conversation. But then as soon as she leaves he berates himself for that. So he knows Mm -hmm. that he was a dick. And I think that that's like a really kind of just interesting way of giving dimension to this character. And then also um, one thing I heard is that uh, one of the two screenwriters was kind of having a hard time with figuring out this character. And apparently he was in an like almost like he had had a fight with his wife and then went for a drive and had an almost fatal car accident. And that kind of, like, you know, had gave him his, like, aha moment. And that was kind of the impetus for, okay, so that's what this guy is about. Huh. Like, he he was in a bad place with his wife, but obviously, like, a almost, you know, near-death experience makes him realize, like, what's important, the whole deal. So I, I feel like they gave this guy way more backstory than the average action hero
0: gets. I just know he's got, like, a six month backlog of scumbags he's gotta get off the streets. Yeah.
2: Which is why he hasn't been able to come to LA.
0: Yeah. That's it. That's 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 all then, that's all I needed for John McClain.
2: <laughs> what were you gonna say, Caroline? Uh I was gonna say going back to the airplane, like not kind of not staying on subject, but going back to the airplane, yeah, you know, go. that jerk, if he wouldn't have told him to take off his shoes and squish his feet into the carpet, yeah. he would have shoes it's, on
1: the whole time.
0: This with your toes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was that was actually something that again we brought up last night when we were viewing it. I mean, you tell me, Caroline. I mean, how much of an impact does that like standing part of his character like make an impact on you? I mean, did he need to have bare feet? throughout this entire movie or what could it, could it have been just as effective <laughs> well, <laughs> See,
2: here? Here's two reasons why he needed to have no shoes for, for me. One is after he kills the first bad guy, he goes to put on the shoes and he makes a joke like about yeah. how small the guy's feet are. Yeah. And then two in the scene, like when Hans Gruber and I don't remember the other bad guy's name, the, the long blonde haired guy, Carl with a K. Oh, yes.
0: Well, according yes. to Bruce Willis, it Carl, Carl with the K. K. Yeah.
2: Carl with the K. Um, they're in that room, like with all the computers and the glass. And like Hans Gruber now knows he doesn't have shoes, and so yeah. he ha- there's that line that I love where you go, shoot the glass, and so he shoots the glass. <laughs> That's
0: and amazing. So,
2: and so, thank you, thank you. I'm I'm, I'm available later
1: for more Hans Gruber.
0: For <laughs> voice, yeah,
1: strict, strictly Hans Gruber. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but like, I mean, for me, I mean, those two two scenes are very iconic. And then like when he's after he jumps off the building and he's got, and he's like trying to break into the glass, you know, the, the window and his feet are all bloody and he's got the bandage. I mean, I just think it's much more impactful than if he would had shoes on. And so Mm -hmm. I think, I think, yes, it was important that he didn't have shoes.
0: It made him feel more. I mean, we know he's a cop, but it made him feel more like just this guy trying to survive through this. And so Mm -hmm. it is, he seemed like less of like an actual, like commando running through the building and more of just like this guy somehow trying to find a way to, to like save his wife and save Mm -hmm. everyone and and get through it. But it did also feel like this story, the first paragraph of this story was his bare feet were bloody from the glass and they just wrote everything (laughs) else around that.
1: (laughs) It definitely, and it definitely ups the stakes for the character. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's a great point too. I mean, We'll, we'll eventually get off just how amazing Bruce Willis is in this movie. But no, one thing that. <laughs> we won't. That's all. <laughs> well, you know, in doing, doing my research um, for the film, you know, one thing that we do on the show is we, you know, talk about kind of the main players and other projects that they've been in. And definitely when, when the name Bruce Willis comes to mind, this is one of the major things that I think of. Like, this is probably the first thing I think of him in. And then Same. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. So those are the two roles that I identify him with. But he's actually had like I, I think he kind of doesn't get enough credit um, for for being a, a really good actor. I think people tend to do that with action stars as they don't really think of them as being accomplished actors. They're just good at doing the action thing. But he I mean, I know we joked about Moonlighting in the commercials, but like
0: Moonlighting was great. Yeah. Moonlighting was great.
1: Moonlighting was great. Yeah. No, he's really good in that. And like basically in looking at his other roles, I came to actually appreciate him more in this movie because like he he's very uh, diverse, actually. I mean, between like like I love Death Becomes Her. Yeah, like yeah. love that movie. He's so great in that. We already mentioned Pulp Fiction.
0: There is you one know, movie that I think of more than even Die Hard. Fifth Element. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's great Which in one? that too. Uh, the Fifth Element. Oh yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah. And then he has, you know, like success. Totally different kind uh, of role. Yeah. You know, so he's a really he is a really good actor. Yeah. He is a really good actor. And the reason why like I'm tying it back to this movie is because for the first time last night when we were watching it. It occurred to me he has to do so much acting on his own. Like that is one thing that I think like I'm not an actor, but I know that that's a huge deal sometimes is that like you play off your other actors. You feed off their energy like that is something that usually is is what the actor wants. That's why like even when they're doing lines and the other actors off screen, they ask for that actor to be there to feed the lines so that they have somebody to work off of. and. You know, a good ninety percent of this movie, he's just alone, <laughs> like talking to a walkie-talkie or talking to himself. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's actually really, really difficult to do well, and he does it really well. And- I'm glad we're
0: still talking about how awesome Bruce Willis <laughs> <Ferris> is. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty awesome.
1: <laughs> he's pretty awesome. And um, and so I just, you know wanted to kind of put that out there again like we we're all talking about how this is you know just a great action film and how it it has you know kind of layers on like a lot of other types of similar films and i think that this is one more like kind of dimension to it is that he actually is a really good actor who just happens to be in an action movie
2: and I don't think a bad actor or an action star that is a decent actor but can do action movies could have done Die Hard. I
1: mm-hmm. think be- because of like
2: what you said, he's by himself so much. I mean, like the the scene inside the air duct. Like, yes. if you're a bad actor, you would not be able to pull off the comedy of it and mm-hmm. the, the, the emotion of it. I mean, yeah. So I I just think he is just amazing and de- definitely. Did not, does not get enough credit for his skills.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And then, kind of on a related note, and you you brought him up, and I think we're all com- in complete agreement is Alan Rickman. <sighs> um, I and I totally agree with you. Again, when I was doing the research and was kind of like putting down information about him, I was just reminded of how much I miss him. Mm-hmm. So, um, he, yeah, he was
2: probably one of the greatest character actors of our time.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And him and
0: Sam
2: Rockwell, who's also a
0: great character actor,
1: yeah, but... really, yeah. No, that's another really great example. And
0: I loved his scared American performance <laughs> in Die Hard.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> no. So, so
1: I saw.
2: So I, I saw something about that recently, and so the how that came up was because um, they they were trying to figure out a way where the two of them could meet without having to kill each other. And so how that came up is they were at craft service. And he, they asked him if he could do an American accent. And he said he could do a uh, California American accent. (laughs) And so when they heard that, that's when they wrote that scene.
1: That's really funny. That's, that's really funny. And whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's what I heard. (laughs) And I'm so glad that, and I think this like kind of ties into what we've been talking about where I think sometimes with these type of genre films, the focus is on the effects the explosions, the gunfire. Um, there's plenty of that. There Indeed. is plenty of that, but but maybe there's not quite as much attention to the quality of the acting. And I think that, again, this is why this movie stands out because, I, yes, he's playing this, like, diabolical person, but unquestionably, Alan Rickman was just a fantastic actor. Yeah. And brings so much to... Even, and again, like last night... One thing I noticed about this film is that um there's a lot of attention put towards like moments of quiet where they're not actually speaking and it's just like what they're trying to convey is conveyed through um facial expression or, you know, body language. And Rickman in particular does a great job. I mean, he has so he's so uh he has such great range of expression.
0: The scene in the mm-hmm. elevator Mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. he's commenting on the suits and he he's like, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm not gonna let Bruce Willis be the only guy who gets to be smug at the beginning <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> I got some smugness too. And he did. But and and I love
2: I love how he also throws in at the end when they're about to get off. He's like, Yeah, rumors
1: are Arafat gets
2: his from the same place. Yes! Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> These great throwaway
2: lines that yeah. he
1: he does so beautifully. And um, I mean, you know. This isn't per se an like Alan Rickman tribute episode, but
0: oh, it's clearly a Bruce Willis tribute (laughs) episode. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Um, I'm I'm really thankful that um, and now I'm probably aging myself because I know these movies have already been out for a while, but like I'm glad that a younger generation gets to experience Rickman through all the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, um, and I hope that continues. But yeah, I actually in
2: two Christmas movies that I watch anyway
1: love actually Diehard,
2: yep and Diehard. oh my
1: god you're right i never thought that yes mm-hmm. yeah that two, checks out yep yep that checks out and the, what's
2: fast oh go ahead oh i was gonna say the other thing about alan rickman is he's the bad guy and you're supposed to hate him but i, I don't know about you guys but i don't necessarily hate him like no i, I think he's bad but i don't like hate him He's so no, much fun I don't to hate watch. him at all.
1: He's so fun to watch.
0: Yeah, his his comment when they realize that this is not, in fact, a terrorist plot and that they're just quote-unquote common thieves. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm an exceptional thief. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, yes. Yeah, he, he's really like, you know that his character is smart and kind of has it all figured out. He's a great I guess not he's not really an anti. He is fully a, a villain, not the mm-hmm. like anti-hero kind of thing, but he's he's just so fun you know like you want you want your bad guy to have as much personality as possible because Mm -hmm. it's fun to to watch that and he does such a great job with that and also with that character kind of like hiding tricks up his sleeve that are revealed throughout the movie Mm -hmm. like really brings you even more i would say if if he and bruce willis are my two favorite characters in the movie and protagonist antagonist that's That makes sense. My third favorite character in the movie is the building itself.
1: (laughs) I and please I thought you were gonna say L. I thought you were gonna say L. Yeah, Ella, I love Ellis. Oh, L. Yeah, L L is great too. I like both of yeah.
0: And that's that's only because I used to work (laughs) at at Nakatomi Plaza, otherwise known as Fox Plaza. And well, that had, uh, yeah, and had an opportunity to work on their 30th anniversary outdoor screening where they projected it on this screen next to the building. And they had cool. a bunch of Nakatomi Plaza stuff up so they could make like a whole press event out of it. So, yeah, it was really fun. That was a, a fun experience to watch Die Hard on on the building Mm -hmm. uh so
2: when i first moved to la and like i went out to century city and i saw the nakatomi towers i was so excited (laughs) (laughs) and then uh becky our friends becky and josh they they lived in an apartment not too far from there and from their bedroom window if you if you stood up you could see the top of nakatomi towers from their window so that was kind of (laughs) cool
0: Yeah, it's it's fun to have like a landmark like that, and mm-hmm. I I probably like thought about that all the time when I because whenever you're walking around, you you obviously get like a view of the building, and you get a view of some of the other like at the beginning of the movie when the limo when Argyle first mm-hmm. drives him up, like that's actually the entrance to the building. That's where people would drive up, and even walking through the front doors, you're used to like when you watch a movie, wonder like are these all like separate set pieces or mm-hmm. where are they doing this? But it's just really fun to see how much they used that building for it. And I think they actually had to pay rent for the production in what was actually that, the unfinished yeah. building. Yeah. It
1: was, it was legitimately under construction still. Yeah. So,
2: um, I've read that speaking, I, cause it's a Fox movie shot in mm-hmm. a Fox building and they did have to pay whatever the going rate was Yeah. Um, from what I, if I remember correctly, and if I could be wrong, but they had to pay because legally if they pay, if they charge them less, they could get in trouble. Yeah. So they were, they paid whatever the rental fee would have been.
1: And it, I mean, I totally agree with Derek. And that was a really fun experience. He also was like waxing nostalgic last night. He's like, I remember <laughs> going up the elevators. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm like, man, the elevator bays look the same, even. That's wild.
1: <laughs> so that was, that it's, was really fun to experience. It's um, pretty cool. It's pretty That's cool. Awesome. But, Like, I think that again, you know, like you were saying, when you first came to LA and you're like, oh my God, there it is, you know, like Mm -hmm. that is part of the lore of this movie. And it was, I mean, I've heard, I've heard, you know, a lot of stories, like, first of all, you know, I don't know if McTiernan was fully communicative with local authorities because there were like real explosions happening around the building Mm -hmm. and
0: the helicopters. yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And from what I've read, uh, certainly like the residents weren't aware that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that
0: this was just a movie
1: being filmed. And I think that, um, it also really ticked off the local authorities because they, you know, they
0: pissed off everybody yeah. with the yeah. explosions and with the helicopters that were not supposed to be doing perhaps all of the maneuvers and flying quite as low as they were. Yeah. So they just, they, they had a permit and they took advantage <laughs> of it. And by the time it got shut down, they felt they had enough footage to to do it. but, I think it's also fun that even when he calls into the police and they're like looking up the address, that they actually show like the real address of of that place. I'm like, they they didn't have to do that. I guess they were just like, just use the real thing. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we're already using the building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't didn't realize that that was the real address. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Right. Um, I think that one thing, so we're talking about kind of the strength of the acting in this film, and you you actually already mentioned him. I mean, one thing that I also love is that – and so one thing I want to say, and maybe we, we are kind of belabored in actually giving credit where credit is due, and that is the casting director. I thought mm-hmm. you were going to say
0: Bruce Willis again, but okay. Um,
1: <laughs> Jack- Jackie Birch, who – like that name is very familiar to me. She did, you know, so many – she, she was a casting director on so many 80s films and, and beyond but i think a lot of people know her from her 80s films specifically and i love that like the attention to detail in terms of like casting particular characters came down to even the smaller characters like you were saying like the um like william atherton who was the the reporter and yeah. and also paul gleason of the breakfast club fame who was the oh, my God. oh yeah yeah yeah, he, yeah he's <laughs>
2: he has one of my favorite lines in the movie i mean there's a ton of lines that i love but he has one, when the fbi guys get blown <laughs> yeah. up and he goes i guess we gotta get more fbi guys <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is one thing that it like it that's one thing that you've brought up a couple times which again i think really adds to the strength of this film is that yes it's an action film but it's actually a really funny movie
0: yeah Yeah. and it's got a lot of comedy even the the running gag of the like the playboy or whatever Mm -hmm. magazine taped Mm -hmm. up on the in the the wall and everyone that goes by like makes a point of stopping like (laughs) he's like running for his life feel like (laughs) they kind of look at it as they walk by
2: well, I love how it's like when he's being chased by them and he's he sees it again and he like kisses his hand and touches it. Like, <laughs> <you know? laughs>
0: Bring me fortune.
2: <laughs> so there's, yeah. there's a there's okay. a lot of little things. There's mm-hmm. one more little thing that I, I never noticed until last night. like I now I kind of find it funny. It's probably not supposed to be, but it's like when L is driving backwards and then you see Argyle like in his limo, but in the background you can see L's the body that went on his car flies off. (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) It's like all of a
1: sudden, there it goes. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, there's just all these little moments. And that's why, you know, even because we've, we've been saying all along throughout this, this conversation that like, like you, we watched it again just last night and we've seen this movie a lot of times. I've seen it a lot in
0: particular, like within the last couple of years, like we've seen it many times. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And you still pick up on new things, mm-hmm. and I think that that's fantastic. And considering like what you were saying that they were like still writing the script as they were filming, that's pretty impressive. And I think that that speaks to the strength of not not just the actors, but everybody involved. And I know that like McTiernan wasn't really so interested. And directing this movie, and he had to be asked multiple times before he finally Ooh. agreed to it.
0: Come on. and
1: Yeah, and actually, even with Alan Rickman, um, he he was reluctant yeah. to be part really? of the film. Yeah, because he already had played a lot of villains. And, I mean, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. He has a very distinct voice. He has a look to him that kind of, I think, leans that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I want to say it was McTiernan and... not sure who else but they saw him I want to say in um the play Dangerous Liaisons where he played the villain in that and then they were like oh that's our guy Hmm. but Rickman was like "Ugh, you know I don't know if I really really want to go down this path because I've done it and thank goodness he did so glad he did yeah so glad he did and I do think that um even though there seemed to be a lot of reluctance among a lot of people to be involved with this film it it all worked out and they're all, you know, great creatives. And and so that's kind of where it went. And and even, you know, Derek, you were talking earlier about like, yes, there were a lot of explosions. Obviously, it's a action film. Jan de Bont, the the cinematographer, like he also went on like actually this ties in because he is the director of Speed. Oh, so, yeah, uh, yeah. He actually is. He is. He actually is the director of both. Nice. He did both. Perfect. Okay. Um, I just wanted to make sure that this connection was, uh,
0: you know, legit.
1: So, so I, I just think that it's you know really interesting that um, you just have all these like really creative people, and even though maybe things weren't done exactly according to the book, like you probably should have a finished script before you start actually filming the movie.
0: Probably shouldn't um, have explosions and helicopters flying like right around residential right building yeah.
1: the the
2: helicopter scene at least the ones on the, the lower they shot that in a half hour
0: yeah they needed to it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're gonna get in they trouble if we do this any longer <laughs> they uh yeah. i mean speaking of like little things that that you know you see the movie so many times and every time you kind of like pick up on something that you hadn't noticed before i still haven't noticed i i've heard about <laughs> it but his feet you know, we talked about his bare feet. Oh, He's yeah. actually wearing like rubber shoes that look like bare feet. So his feet supposedly like look really big in some of the scenes. And I I don't think I've ever actually noticed it. Like Bigfoot feet? Like Hobbit feet, maybe. Hobbit I don't know. Feet. Maybe yeah. they make him that yeah. hairy. but they...
2: <laughs> So I've never bet- noticed that. No, I have never noticed that either. But I think it's just you're so distracted by his face and <laughs> you don't care about yeah. his feet. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, unless you are looking for it. And yeah. that's what that happens a lot in, in films where there's, like, little things where you're like, eh, it's not. it, But that's not where your attention is. I, so. I never
0: noticed those things. Like, the, a lot of these little things that I read about, I'm like, oh, I would have never... Notice that I guess I I, 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 I wonder
2: if they it. removed that in the because I I have the 4K now from Apple oh no, so I'm wondering if they because like I know sometimes when they redo the movies they remove stuff like um, another 80s movie Indiana Jones mm-hmm. um, when when Indy falls that's you know, exactly snakes, what I was
0: thinking of yeah the, the
2: King Cobra like lifts up and in the original one you can see the reflection of the King Cobra because there's, there's glass separating them. But now, if you watch the movie,
0: that's been removed. You can only see that if you freeze it at one specific frame where a lightning strike in the movie creates this, like, reflection, right? Or yeah. Or is it reflecting from the flames, no, from the torches? No, I
2: think it's, it's from, the, from the torches. Yeah, it's okay. from the torches. And so, but it, they've, they've since... The, the ones that are out digitally have they've removed the King Cobra, which is a shame. I think they should have left it.
0: I just Thank love you. that that's, that's <laughs> our best compare. That that is the I did not imagine a Raiders of the Lost Ark comparison <laughs> to die hard. <laughs> but That's great, but
1: I, Carolyn, I totally agree with you. Like, I, it's not nearly as egregious as all the changes that Lucas made to the mm. the first three yeah. Star Wars films. <laughs> yeah. But but I. I think those things are charming and endearing, and it. I just think that it's not necessary to do that kind of stuff. Like I, I, I wish that they would just leave it the way it was. Like, yeah. it's fine, and it. Yeah, it kind of takes away a little bit of the person, and it's fine. It like I mean, it's it's such a small yeah. thing in this film, if if that is yeah. indeed the case, but. Um, yeah, what were you gonna say, Derek?
0: I know like the the Star Wars is a great example of the filmmaker just going crazy yeah with adding new stuff, but I know Cameron is also like very very specific and deliberate and particular about the like transitioning film from the theatrical to home entertainment, and when it's remastered, I know that like he he definitely. He would he would fix the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. I, I don't know if he would fix Bruce Willis's feet. But but there are like the filmmakers who like this is the the vision that I want to make sure is accurately mm-hmm. reflected in like whatever medium it's in. So I guess it, it goes both ways. I don't know if I need to see fake rubber feet shoes, but now I kinda yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope <laughs> so I hope it hasn't been removed.
2: Now I kinda want to go back and rewatch the movie yet again just to see if I can just see. To see see the
0: rubber feet the only other thing which is less of a thing that you notice or not notice but when rickman falls at yeah. the end spoilers um <laughs> they didn't tell him he, he right. kind of I mean, knew that the setup was there but they he just like it was one of those like okay we'll drop you on three one drop
1: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> which it's so funny because you hear those stories and i'm like it's kind of like crazy crazy and like not cool for yeah. the actor but it gets it gets the effect you want i guess
0: yeah because he look you see the look in his face like i'm gonna die
1: i don't think you can act that
0: fear
2: like right i mean alan rickman's a fantastic actor but that is true fear in his face yeah. and so <laughs> i think i think it's brilliant apparently he was really upset about it after it happened but yes <laughs> injured, <and so laughs> all was good and maybe after he
1: saw the final product he wasn't so upset Cause I hear that a lot of when they just yeah. do not tell actors that they're going to do something to them. And I'm like, that's, that is not cool to, but again, final product, but it's effective. <laughs> it's effective. Exactly. Um, so speaking of untimely endings, uh, I like to talk about Alice.
0: <laughs> I, oh, I wanted to talk Alice. about him when you brought up the casting. I'm like, what a great cokehead They, they cast.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: I love uh, his line when he's like, he, he's like, booby, buddy,
0: yeah. <laughs> Hans, Bubby.
1: So what I find really, and so Caroline, one thing that you were saying earlier is that uh, you know Hans is is undoubtedly the, the villain in this movie, but you kind of like him, you know, like you, you're. I don't know if I'd go so far <laughs> as you're rooting for him. But, yeah, no, but you're you you like him on screen and. I'm just curious how you feel about Ellis in that regard, because he's kind of in his own way a, a villain. I I like Ellis
2: because he's so stupid he doesn't realize how stupid he is.
0: Yeah. You know
2: when he goes in there and he's like I'm your white knight. It's like oh my god you are the biggest idiot. You're gonna die. Yeah. I mean, but I just think he's he's a little bit of a comic relief, which is just kind of nice.
1: He no, he's definitely comic relief. And I think that um I mean, I'm trying to think he he's not a character that needed to be in the movie.
2: No, I agree.
1: But he is a character that definitely adds to it, and I actually think that I have no idea if this is intentional on the part of the screenwriters. But having someone like him, I think, reinforce like when he's having his back and forth with Hans <laughs> you're like yeah Hans just shoot him like, he, like you yeah. want you want him I, to love, die.
2: I love that they probably know they're going to kill him as soon as he like walks in and says he knows who John mm-hmm. McClane is you know but I love how they give him a coke yes
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and then when he know when when John doesn't answer and you can tell like he's like oh crap you know and he mm-hmm. takes the coke and like chugs it down and it's just <laughs> it's little things
1: <laughs> so one thing what's funny about the coke so again Take this with a grain of salt. But and I feel like this is like a really, really deep cut kind of joke. But what I read is that the the joke with the with the Coca-Cola is that he asked them for Coke, but meaning cocaine. <laughs> but they misinterpreted what he was asking for and just got him a Coke. <laughs> Which is hilarious. hilarious.
0: I choose to believe that is true. I yeah, feel same.
1: like it's it's a little bit of a too deep cut for a lot of people because when before i read that i just thought like and it was still funny to me it was still funny that they just like got this guy a coca-cola yeah and they're like even pouring it out for him so like that and it's like that's hilarious but if there is any truth to that like added subtext of that joke like that's
0: that's hysterical the way he looked at the glass and nodded at them makes me think it's not real yeah because he
1: was too he wasn't confused at all by it
0: because he was kind of like thanks not not where's my fucking coke (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> did, did he ask for some Coke or a Coke? I'm wondering. That's interesting.
1: That's interesting. Because I would and think I if
2: wish... he asked for a Coke, he wouldn't be asking for the drug.
1: Yeah. I wish that they, if they had that line, I wish that would have been included. And then granted, yeah. it's already like almost two hours and 15 minutes. So maybe they were like trying to, you know, cut corners where they could. I love, but that would have really <laughs> added to it. For like mm-hmm. the product
0: placement. I love that the product placement is like, sure, we'll get you your can of Coca-Cola in this. We're going to give it to the Cokehead. Because it just makes sense. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um. And I think that yeah. Even again, like those small touches with like giving so much to this smaller character, and even having him have kind of his backstory, where like mm-hmm. you know you can tell he's like definitely trying to look cooler than he is, and everybody mm-hmm. knows it except for him, and he's also this huge cokehead. <laughs> and like, I mean, Everyone that's a, that that's too. a lot to give to a smaller character. Well, um. And
2: I. I also love how Holly, when, like, when he leaves and, and John was like, oh, he, he's interested in you. And she's like, I'm interested in his executive bathroom or something like that, she says. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty good.
1: Which actually is, thank you, because that's a really great segue. Um, oh, you welcome. I, <laughs> I wanted to talk about, so, okay, here's the thing with action films. I think they're pretty obviously skewed. Amazing. They're oh. amazing, but they're skewed male. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um well
0: in the 80s like even more so.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. With with a couple really amazing exceptions namely Terminator and Aliens.
0: Yeah. So romancing the stone. <laughs> romancing,
1: the stone. <laughs> <laughs> romancing the stone. Um so it's kind of no exception here. I mean when we're looking at the cast of characters literally across the board man 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 except for Bonnie and say his her name, Bonnie Bedelia. Thank you, yeah, Bonnie Bedelia. Um, and I'm just curious, like, so here's my here's my take on it. So full disclosure, I, you know, yes, I'm very aware of the fact that it's a very male dominated film, but I f- do feel like it makes sense. Like sometimes I think action films are just. You know they're casted up with all dudes because they assume that that's what the like viewer is gonna more identify with. For me, it actually makes sense in the world of this film that it's more male skewed. but I also feel that what they did really nicely is they counteracted that with a really strong female character. There's only one of them really, but she's really I think she's pretty badass and holds her own. And so I'm just curious like I'll I'll eventually defer to you Derek but Caroline is being another like female fan of the film I'm curious like what your take on that and if it ever like struck you in any particular way with like the the heavily male cast
2: I don't know if it necessarily struck me because I saw it probably saw the movie for the first time at such a young age mm-hmm. so I probably wasn't you know thinking about that and since then but I have to say she is a super strong character like I mean even in the beginning when when they go in there and they ask for um, oh god what's it what's his name Takagi yes thank you Takagi and she grabs him and holds him and tells Mm -hmm. him you know puts her hand and like holds him back I mean throughout the whole movie she's always like the strong backbone of the of the hostages I guess like Mm -hmm. you know constantly going to her she's like oh nobody could do nobody can make anybody angry as much as John, you know, and she's like reassuring and like kind of like the strong leader of the group, I feel like. And so it's, she's not a damsel in distress. She's never scared. She, she never seems frightened. Mm -hmm. And like a, like a, a, you know, like a little flower, she seems strong and powerful. And even when she's, even when she gets taken by when they finally figure out who she is and she gets mm-hmm. taken by him. I mean, she like, is like, Oh, you're just a common thief, you know? And she, she doesn't give two, two craps, you know?
1: It's a, you could swear. It's okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if swearing was okay. So she doesn't give two shits. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, she stands up to him and it never really seemed frightened by him. You know, she never mm-hmm. really, which in a lot of movies, the female character is like this little dainty flower who Mm -hmm. is like a like as soon as the wind blows her pieces start flying off and gets Mm -hmm. frightened and 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 wilts down and not not her whole time she is super strong
1: i totally agree and and i appreciate that so much that they depicted her that way and i do feel that i mean especially in the 80s yeah yeah I mean, I was just going to say, you know, we, you know, I just mentioned, um, Terminator and Aliens. So there are a couple examples, um, of really strong female characters in action films, but it is, it is pretty rare. I think, I kind of feel like the eighties maybe is the big, be- that's the beginning of making it more normal, like to mm. normalize a woman being a strong action figure. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it from a film like this. So I'm just really glad that that is a choice that was made. Agreed. Um, so, which makes me appreciate it all the more. Uh, I mean, Derek, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Well, I guess I do, but they're all the thoughts that have already been <laughs> expressed by everybody. Because I, I mean, I thought it was great that, that like her personality and McLean's personality were both like these really strong personalities. Like mm-hmm. it, it made sense for, for them as a couple for her, for her to be, you know, she, she had an opportunity and she pursued it and that's Mm -hmm. what got her this job. And so like from, from purpose of like setting up this, this story, this um, like the structure of what was going to follow, I think it made sense. I think like aside from it just being good to see like a strong female character in the movie, I think it just made sense to, to have that to kind of like, Go back and forth with with Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. Bruce Willis's character. She
1: goes toe to toe with him. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it,
0: if she can go toe to toe with him, she's not really worried about Hans Gruber.
2: Yeah, right. It's a good point. And then if she was a like a shrinking wallflower instead of the strong woman she was, we wouldn't have one of the best things that she does in the movie, which is at the end
1: when she punches the reporter in the face.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if she wasn't that strong woman,
1: we wouldn't have had that scene, that shot. Totally agreed. That's a great point. Yep. And and I mean, I was thinking about it because sometimes when I watch films, it's it's not as frequent anymore. Thank goodness, because there's definitely more attention being put towards like diverse casting, mm-hmm. um, and also, yeah, I mean, I think I think like everybody has kind of you know heard that story that like Ripley wasn't even like it, it was like actually intended for a, a male actor, and and Sigourney Weaver just happened to be the best fit, and so they went with her. Um, but I was thinking about you know in this film. Could there have been other, like, different choices made? Like, could there have been any more, more prominent female roles? And the only, here's the thing, is that, like, the only one Mm. that kind of made sense for me where, like, oh, that that could have been cast with a female actor is uh, Theo, who was the... Like kind of the computer genius of mm. of the group. That being said, though, I'm very reluctant to say that because I love that they cast that with a person of color, and that's one thing that I really and and I don't think Al could have ever been a woman because there's definitely like a um a, a closer Brother, yeah brotherhood type exactly. of thing right. between, yeah. like
0: we're we're both cops we yeah.
1: We're, and so I'm yeah, fine with that, yeah. too. Um, that doesn't bother me at all. And I think that those were kind of the only two even outside possibilities of casting with a, a female character. However, I like I said, I'm very hesitant to say that because actually one thing that I really appreciate, and I think, again, this is kind of rare for a movie from the 80s, is that there are two pretty biggish roles that are cast with men of color. And I love that they did that. Um, so so that's something that I really also appreciate about the film is that, you know, like I'm trying to think like what other big 80s movies, I mean, like Predator has Carl Weathers in it. Um so there's like a couple other films, but it's usually white dudes. And yeah. and so I really love that they also paid attention to that. And again, thank you Jackie Birch for 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 paying attention to that. But yeah. um I
0: think like it, it would have made sense if if they had recast Theo to uh to be a female character i think that would have worked i think for for some of the characters they they end up having like brutal and ultimately fatal confrontations with bruce Bruce willis so i don't know if you wanted a scene where bruce willis is like brutally murdering some woman that's true and i i don't know if like maybe they would have that now and and it would be fine but i think especially in the 80s there Mm -hmm. there's that probably isn't going to happen yeah yeah that that might be like. Part although of it, you but, do
1: have a couple, I mean, I am very not familiar with this franchise. But don't you have a couple female villains in like all the James Bond movies that he has to fight? Um, like isn't Grace yeah. Jones somebody that he eventually fights?
0: Yeah, Mayday in uh, A View to a Kill, and
1: that's an '80s movie.
0: It is, yeah. So you you can find out though. James Bond is like its own thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, always...
1: but that is actress it? is kind of
2: masculine. Herself, yeah, with yeah, Jones. So it's not like she's there was a certain type of actress mm-hmm. that they could type, they could cast as a villain because
0: mm-hmm. she was also like a warrior in one mm-hmm. of the Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan movies, mm-hmm. at least one. I don't know if she's in multiple of those, but so people so,
1: probably were viewing her in a way where it's like, okay, she can, she can also go toe to toe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's fine.
0: I don't know which mm-hmm. one of those movies came first, but
1: I will say though that I think that if, um, because the only reason why I mentioned Theo is because he doesn't really, uh, he's not part of, like, kind of the more egregiously, like, buff type. No, like, yeah. Like, he's he's yeah. the brains of the, the other guys, Yeah. The
0: other, like, everyone else who is part of that, like, the Hans Gruber force, I will call them now, <laughs> they were <laughs> cast primarily just for, like, their size to be intimidating. and intimidating looks. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was, yeah. like... All that they were really around for was just to look like big and tough.
2: I will say, but though, if he was, if if it would have been a gender reverse, would Argyle have been able to punch her in the face? Because she go, he goes up to the you know ambulance after he crashes into mm-hmm. it and punches him in the face.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a really so how great something point. would the audience
2: have been of that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, yeah, no, and I I don't know if I have an answer to that maybe at that point given you know that he is fully aligned or she in this case if it was like Theodora I don't know um <laughs> if she she nice. was like fully aligned with the baddies the yeah um that you'd be like good she got her comeuppance or whatever and and Argyle is like such a fun character and you really like him that like who who knows but I will say this <laughs> if if one of the like more Broey dudes had been cast with a woman for some reason and bruce willis got into a fight with her i think given the type of character that McClane is i think there would have been commentary on it like i really don't want to hit you you know like yeah no, yeah, for yeah. Sure. so so there could have been also humor there i mean
0: now but- you see i think it's more common now like i think of even Movies. Oh man, what's the what's like the franchise with Ronda Rousey where she was a character in a couple of them? Oh, I don't know. With uh, Stallone and oh, The Expendables. The Expendables, yeah. So you oh have yeah. That. And you have like some of these like MMA fighters who are now in action roles, mm-hmm. uh, and I also cannot remember her name who is in on The Mandalorian. Mandalorian. Yeah. So you do see it a little bit more now, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Then. Um, but thank goodness we got Bonnie Bedelia
2: yeah yes. she's really good, and actually um, I heard that Bruce Willis is the one who recommended her for the part good
1: good on him good bring on back him
2: Bruce Willis we, bring we him back about-
1: Saviour, die hard <laughs> uh, i mean yeah i no I and I love that because i I'm not super familiar with her work outside of this film, um which I'm kind of surprised about. Because she, she did do such a great job in this movie that I'm, I'm kind of scratching my head why I
0: was she in the sequel. Mm-hmm. Are we, are we going to talk about any of these sequels? Well,
1: actually, no, I don't well, think she's
2: in Die Hard Two. She is she in Die Hard
1: Two? She's in two, like... but she's not in any of the others.
2: So okay, I don't know, yeah. what, and
1: I don't know what really happens to her character after that. But mm-hmm. um... well, I think they get divorced. Like they actually get divorced
2: because I think Aww, maybe the third one, because the third one takes place. The the second one's at the airport, right? The whole yeah. movie pretty much mm-hmm. the airport. And then the third one is like all over New York city
0: with Samuel Jackson.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which I really, I like the third one. I'm not, a the second one's okay, but I think the third one's really good.
0: I think the second one, they tried to say like, it's like diehard in an airport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the third one, it was cool because Samuel Jackson is great and yes. they had great chemistry and they did some things in that movie that are freaking oh. wild that I don't know if they would necessarily do now. And is it Jeremy
2: Irons who's the bad guy?
0: Yes. Who's yeah. great.
1: great. Great villain.
0: Yeah. Then, great villain. I don't know if there's like five more or ten more after that. I know there's, there's one with Justin Long.
1: Yes. I saw that Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah. I believe that's one. That's actually, so total random uh, comment. But one thing that I really appreciate about this franchise is that... Except for Die Hard 2, which is just called Die Hard 2, mm-hmm. they really try to be creative
0: what was with all really? the
1: sequel names. Because okay, so we have Die, die Hard with hard a Vengeance. 2. Yes, okay. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Nice. Then we have Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah, and then we have a good good day to die hard.
0: Uh huh. Isn't there a Die Harder <laughs> anywhere? Or maybe <laughs> two is Die I, Harder.
1: That's number six.
0: Is it? No, well, I, I'm there, just making
1: that up. There oh is, man, there is. <laughs> so here's the thing: like a new. Die Hard movie, which is just called McLean, has been announced. Really? It which I have no idea to what extent it's like really in the works, but it it has it's on IMDb. It's been announced. Okay. Um, uh, I'm actually on IMDb now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, it is announced. It says 2020
1: on here,
0: but see well, it's not coming out. You heard it <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah. Breaking news, folks.
1: <laughs> and. and- well, what I was it's, just going to say is that what I find hilarious is that Bruce Willis, like they have for him rumored <laughs> to be. And like, there's just no way you can continue this franchise at this no. point Is it a prequel?
0: Him. Is it a reboot with That's someone a, else? And maybe well, Bruce cer- Willis will just. it certainly
1: can't be a prequel because he's cause it's 30 about, years older. Yeah, well, it's yeah.
0: McLean. I just call it McLean and it's him in the police academy.
1: I mean, I guess they could do something with like his kid. Yeah. Oh, I'm mistaken. The
2: diehard thing I'm looking at is that commercial. They've, that's an oh. IMDb the, yes, like, commercial yes. that they did. <laughs> it's that's really good, battery, too. Yeah. Uh, the battery yeah, the commercial. Battery,
1: die, hard, die Hard is back. I, we've amazing. seen that. And it's actually pretty good. And it has like pretty high production value.
0: Yeah,
1: Argyle comes back. Um, it's Yeah, it's pretty funny. And I actually appreciate that Bruce Willis went for it and, and agreed to do it because... I mean he does say, like I've read that like apparently John McClane is his favorite character, yes. which makes sense not just because it's a fun character, but he's arguably made the bulk of his money. It
0: is his bank mm-hmm. account. Uh, yeah. Favorite
1: character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so not not a shocker. Yeah. Um, but you know, I know sometimes people maybe have feelings about doing something as like quote lowly as a commercial. Um, and I love that he did that. Like, I also love that, um, Gosh, his name is escaping me at the moment. But the kid who played Elliot in E.T. last year mm. did the E.T. commercial. Yeah, yeah that was great. I, I love when actors do that. And I appreciate when actors realize what that means to the fans of that movie to do that. Um, obviously, it's not going to work for like everything. Um, but... But that to me is fun and I like when actors can have fun in that way with their with their characters.
2: Agreed. Going yeah. going back to McLean though and 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 not having Bruce Willis mm-hmm. and I, I mean the only way you could do Die Hard without Bruce Willis is if he actually passes the the baton yes. baton on to somebody else and mm-hmm. I mean the, the casting would have to be incredible and it couldn't be like a younger version of Bruce Willis and the character couldn't be like a knockoff of McLean. I mean, it would have to be his own character who could do Mm -hmm. humor and stuff. But Mm -hmm. I mean, that would for me be the only way I would accept it is if Bruce Willis, like passed it on to the person.
1: Totally Mm. agree. And I'm trying to think like, cause I, I do think that uh, Justin Long was supposed to be his kid. I don't know. I I I saw the movie. Yeah, I think so. Which I was like, that doesn't, I remember thinking that doesn't really work for me.
0: The plot but, um, keywords, the plot keywords on uh, IMDb do include the word prequel.
1: Interesting. And really? the storyline,
0: the storyline for McLean is the original story to the popular film franchise Die Hard.
1: Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then, would they then be casting for a younger John McLean if that's the case? I. Okay, you guys. I'm going to throw. I don't out know name. if I like this. Yeah, I don't know if I like this either. And I don't think that it's necessary. I think no. that you could still have like a great story with just Bruce Willis, but I'm going to throw out a name. It's the only one that came to mind. And you guys just give me like immediate visceral reaction. Okay. Chan, Ugh. tating.
0: Uh,
1: no. Okay. Okay. That's the only one that kind of came to mind for me. For... I just wanted
0: to give my immediate visceral reaction. See, that was...
2: I, I feel like if you're going to recast John McClane, you kind of have to do what you did the first time and find someone non-conventional.
0: You yeah. know, someone you wouldn't yep, yep. think of as
2: an action star and who could actually pull it off. I feel like that's the only way you get something, maybe somewhat. And I can't, I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Definitely can't.
1: Yeah. Not yeah, at but... the, not at the moment. Not as that, those things happen, but... it's really hard to like, oh Yeah that's this is the perfect choice this, well this if cool. we could
0: think of them then that probably wouldn't be the right choice because yeah the whole point would be obviously
1: <laughs> chanum was not the right choice <laughs> <laughs> very clearly
0: the reaction was immediate and negative yeah.
1: which is fine not not precious about my pretend casting choices <laughs> I, I, for, I forgive you for suggesting that it's no no worry you know i can't can't score all the time but um 100 percent of the shots you don't take yeah but it would be interesting i mean like i think that and and caroline i i I agree with you i mean i think maybe some other franchises like didn't they try to do a switcheroo with um the born identity and they had your runner well
0: i mean i don't know if they're trying to do a switcheroo but they were trying to make him like another agent or another asset in this uh, Treadstone group.
1: And I think it like, I am, I am not, uh, really keen. I shouldn't say keen because I've seen a couple of the Bourne movies and they're fine, but I'm not as like into the know with them. But I feel like that could work because there's not kind of this belovedness around the franchise. Mm -hmm. And, and I do think that that's the major difference. And that's why for a lot of things that come from people's childhoods, um a lot of 80s movies i mean i know i get all up in arms when they like want to do like a reboot of something i mean like derek and Same. i have like many 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 times at this point talked about how much we hated and we haven't even seen it poltergeist the reboot of poltergeist yeah <laughs> oh, man just, you know, I'm so glad
0: we got to bring that up again
1: yeah it just didn't <laughs> need to be made as much as we love sam rockwell and we really do
0: you know who i think we should at least give a look to sure the actual john McClane. what there's a john McClane a sports writer who writes for the Houston Chronicle he looks like he might be a little bit older but he has he has a great podcast that i that i'm seeing he has on a stash his, you uh, like yeah i think i think we at least need to like get the casting set up maybe maybe it could work that probably hilarious. won't
1: work so, Carol, this has just been fantastic. We we've had so so much fun uh, having you on. Thank you, thank you. We love this. Is just our favorite part of getting to do this is talking to not just like our friends and getting to connect that way, but talking to people who have like a real passion for a particular movie, and that is just so much fun for us to listen to why people love movies the way that they do. Um, so, thank you so much. And
2: thank you. This was a lot more fun. I mean, I was a little nervous because I've never done anything like this. <laughs> yeah. So this is a lot more fun and much more relaxing. And I really enjoyed it. It was a blast.
1: Oh good. That is the best compliment. That is honestly so awesome <laughs> to hear. And you know, as like with a lot of our guests, like they work in the industry, they're creative people. And so I just wanted to give you the opportunity if you wanted to share maybe something that you're working on right now or something you wanted to tell our listeners. I am
2: currently working on. I work in post production, so I'm the jerk that we remove would we have removed the king cobra from um, <laughs> from Indiana Jones. But um, I'm I working on a show. I worked on the first season, and now we're currently filming the second season, which is called Outer Banks. And it's a yes. show that the first season is on Netflix right now, all ten episodes. So if you haven't seen it and you're looking for something to watch that's fun and light and entertaining, go check us out and. Is it What'd you say? Is
0: it bingeable?
2: <laughs> oh, 100%. It, we actually just won the people's choice award for most bingeable show of 2020. So. you for setting her up, Derek. Yeah. yeah. That was really good. <laughs> and I, I, I hit that out of the park. You did great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would say the people have spoken and it's bingeable. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I had a friend who watched the show in one sitting i mean it's they're hour long so they're you know that's impressive yeah she watched it all 10 episodes um i mean i think she stayed up to like four or five in the morning watching them all um because she couldn't stop uh so currently we're working on season two right now so season two will be on netflix sometime next year so keep an eye out you're gonna want to watch it after you see the first season
1: it's. I mean, it's a fantastic show, and like, just when it first came out, over it was the summer. No, it was earlier than the summer. Uh, it was, we when came out
2: season? like right at the beginning of the pandemic. We came okay, out. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, yeah. Like in mm, April or, or May. I now okay. I can't remember mm-hmm. when we dropped. Like April or May. So it was pretty early on.
1: I just remember. I mean, for, like out the gate, people were loving this show. So yeah. It's that's really exciting. That's like so cool to be on a show that already has like resonated with so many mm-hmm. people so yeah definitely people if um i mean what better time to binge on something if you haven't already than during exactly. the holidays
0: during the exactly. holidays when you will not be traveling and seeing large groups of people exactly so just, when you're gonna uh, be
1: staying home stay and
0: stay home and watch <laughs> Netflix.
2: I mean, there, there's nothing better to do than staying home and watching uh, Outer Banks on Netflix. It's like you'll have holidays so or fun. otherwise. Just, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So you heard it here. Uh, definitely go watch the first season of Outer Banks on Netflix right now. And yeah, looking forward to a season two in 2021. So Caroline, thank you again. Open invitation. We'd love to have you back. Oh, I'd and... love to come back. This was a blast. Yay.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: So those was our awesome, as always, conversation with our special guest. This time it was Caroline Doby. Caroline, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thank you for being a fan of Die Hard.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, okay, so like most of the time this question is kind of a lame question. Would you watch this movie again? We're probably <laughs> going to watch it like at Well, you've least really
0: presented this question know, in a fun way. I know, with a, a fun lot of way. enthusiasm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, especially this time of year. Yeah, we'll we'll have it on a couple times for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, this one's easy to, to throw on and watch. And it often is just on uh, like TV or cable yeah. during the holidays for reasons that we have already covered in depth. Yes.
1: I mean, it's actually gotten to the point where it's not that I'm like averse to watching it any other time of year, but I identify it now as a Christmas movie. Yeah. So it's something that like I look forward to this time of year and I don't maybe seek it out.
0: Probably I mean I probably wouldn't watch Otherwise. it from start to finish because even though it doesn't you know, as we like discussed, it doesn't feel like it's a two hour movie, but it is. But it is. So it's one where, you know, might watch halfway into it or, or whatever. But yeah, it's it's definitely one where I'm not gonna have to seek it out like the Transformers the movie. <laughs>
1: uh call it action. Hmm. I mean, I think the obvious
0: Yeah. Oh is, is-
1: Asking people if they think it's a Christmas movie.
0: Oh, I was going to think, like, tell us about when you were trapped in a building. With, <laughs> with
1: German terrorists? Yes. And how, <laughs> how did you?
0: Did you have shoes? How did it go?
1: But yeah, I mean, because people have pretty strong opinions. I And look, if somebody really strongly disagrees with us, I want to hear why.
0: So I'm going to presume that it is a Christmas movie. And so my call to action is I would like to people to tell us the Christmas lesson that they get, (laughs) that they personally get from Die Hard. That's, because I, I, yeah. Okay. That's what I want to know. Either one. Yeah. So
1: you can go, like, kind of real basic and be like, no, I don't think it's a Christmas movie. And
0: that gets you off the hook for the second one. And that gets you off the hook. Yeah.
1: But, yeah, that's actually, so it's kind of a Uh two-parter. Because then if you say, yes, it is a Christmas movie, okay, then what's the Christmas lesson? Exactly. Okay. So if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can... Get to us through Facebook.
0: It's true, you can.
1: <laughs> or
0: you can get or, at <laughs> us via Instagram. You can can you even tweet at us? Yes. On you Twitter. Can do, you
1: can do all those on the things. Twitter. On the Twitter, you oh can my do God. all those things. And it's Fantastic. the same handle, magic of social media. Um, same handle for all three. Uh-huh. And that is at eighties montage pod in eighties is 80s you
0: know, as always, you can write to us at P.O. Box. <laughs> We'll stick with the social media.
1: Uh, okay. So our next episode in two weeks. Yeah. We're we're now in the like zenith. I don't know if I'm using that word correctly. Of like our Christmas movies.
0: Well, I, I guess that's, like we're kind
1: of like we're in the mi-
0: we're in the thick of it. We're progressing.
1: We're we're moving on yeah. to another really great Christmas movie called.
0: Yeah, what is it? Oh, you don't know? No, I don't. I, don't. <laughs> I never <See>? do. <laughs> Scrooge! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time. So we're doing Scrooge. Uh, And
1: actually, so besides it just being a really fun movie to cover, we're super excited because for the first time ever, we are having a returning guest. It is Michelle Lang. She was with us for Dirty Dancing. She was awesome then. She's going to be awesome for this. And we're super excited to have her. Yes.
0: It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome.
1: So... Thank you for hanging with us, and we will see you in two weeks' time.
0: And as always, we will try to do better next time.